Welcome back to Readers of Red, everybody. I'm Tyler Tarter, your host here, and today we're going to be diving back into how to write a hacker. Um, and today we're going to be talking about the black hats, the bad guys. So stay tuned after the jump and we'll dive into it. Welcome back from the jump, everybody. So today we've got a lot of ground to cover. It's a very big world when it comes when it comes to black hats, just like it was last week when we were talking about white hats. And we still have an entire and another episode coming next week about the three subgroups: blue hats, green hats, and red hats. That won't be as detailed, hopefully. Uh, we'll we'll see how far we want to go into that. Uh, but those groups are separate from the first two we've talked about: the white hats and the black hats. Although those groups do intermingle with white hats or black hats or sometimes both, depending on the situation. So we'll get into that next week. So make sure you stay tuned. And as we get into this, don't forget to like and subscribe if you like the information I'm giving you. And we'll dive into it. So black hat hackers are your hackers who have malicious intent in general. Uh, there are a few subgroups, like I said, that we'll talk about next week. But... Across the board, black hat hackers are defined that way. Um, if they are not trying to, if they're not doing what they're doing with the authorization of the company that they are doing it to, or the person they're doing it to, they're a black hat. That is the big difference between someone like a pen tester and a black hat, uh, is a pen tester is doing it at the request of the company. So to test their security, black hats are not. Um, Gray hats, which we'll talk about a little bit tomorrow, flirt with that line, um, which is why they're gray. They'll swing back and forth. Black hats are not. They are direct threats and attacks. Um, a lot of times nowadays we see these coming from certain countries in Asia and Africa and Central Europe. Uh, we do see that a lot lately, but that doesn't mean... Black hat hackers are only from those areas. They are the most common because there are not laws against it, especially when they are attacking a country that's not their own. But that doesn't mean that black hats are only limited to those areas. Now, black hats can span a wide variety of people. Uh, typically, when you think of a black hat, you think of the person in a basement uh, who's been there basically their whole life and almost never leaves and all they do is hack into things while that can be true that is not typical typically when we run into hackers they are either young as in junior high, high school age and doing something stupid because they want to do something stupid uh, just like any other teenager um, another major one we see for black hat hackers are white collar people they are usually very educated and very eloquent. And they are doing it as part of some kind of either criminal organization or a, they are working for one company against another company. All right, I do have to be careful with how I word things. Um, to be clear, during this video, I will not teach you how to do any of it. I will not give any suggestions on how to do it. This is purely informational for someone who's trying to figure out how to write a black hat hacker correctly. 
Now, oftentimes black hat hackers, when they are shown, are shown in an office with scrolling code, typically black on or green text on a black screen or something like that going over and over and over again. But that is not often the case. Typically, a hacker will have what's called a, either a kit box or something along those lines, a toolbox that is preloaded with a lot of things so they don't have to go and reconfigure a lot of their code. Um, these are easily deployable, often carried on a hard drive on the person. Um, and that code is pretty much plug and play. Um, depending on the hacking attempts that are being, the hack that is being attempted, these codes can drastically vary or can be layered inside different things as well. So now that we've got that basis in place, I want to talk about first something called social engineering. Social engineering is a type of hacking that focuses on the person, it's psychology. The hacker will use psychology to figure out how to exploit a person, whether that be weighing on their caring nature or finding out dirt about them or finding out what type of subscriptions they have like Netflix or Hulu or any of those types of things, Apple Music, Spotify. Um, finding those things out can be social engineering as well. Social engineering can be very simple, um, where or it can be as simple as finding someone's Facebook page to get details on them, or it can be wildly complicated. Uh, one of the best examples of this is in the movie Now You See Me. It's a, something that the four magicians pull on their benefactor on the plane to pull off their trick where they basically steal all of his money. This is textbook social engineering. While this leans a little bit more into the con man aspect, or theirs does, it does actually cross into black hat hacking. Um, so if you want to see a good example of how social engineering can be applied, go watch that movie. One of my favorites of all time. So now that you understand what social engineering is, there are a few different types of attacks. You have social engineering attacks, and you have straight code-based attacks. Um, sometimes they will, they will overlap where one will be used to deploy another one. Um, that is very common. Um, sometimes you will see straight social engineering. Sometimes you'll straight, see straight code-based attacks. But we're going to talk about some of the most common. I actually went and um, pulled up the 10 most common um, types of cyber attacks through several of the actual cyber authorities, companies like Sophos, CrowdStrike, um, Fortinet, Cisco, and they had almost exactly the same list for the top 10. So we're going to talk about those, and I'm going to give you a brief explanation, not how to do it, but what it is, so that you can actually use them correctly in your book. And if you'd like, I can actually link that in, uh, link to the list in the description below so that you can get a few more details if you would like. Um, so the most common type of attack, uh, I guess we shouldn't say the most common type of attack, the most dangerous type of attack, which is why it's on the top of everyone's list, is ransomware. Ransomware is basically what it sounds like. It's computer code that holds a system hostage. 
This is often deployed in dozens of different ways using several of the techniques we'll talk about later. But ransomware can sit on a computer for months or years before it actually goes into effect. It's basically latent code that sits on someone's computer until it's triggered, and then it locks everything down. And in many cases, it will lock the computer down and then ship your data off to the attacker so that they can review it and see if there's anything there they want. If there's not, they will hold you ransom to get it back. Um, sometimes, even if there is, they will still hold you ransom to get it back. And then they will copy it and then sell it back to you. Um, this is extremely dangerous. It's becoming more and more common, unfortunately. And there are tools to prevent it, but each company has very different methods of, to do this. Um, threat hunters like myself are also often looking for what we call bloat in computers. Uh, this is usually a pretty good sign of some type of ransomware sitting somewhere. Bloat is excess data sitting on a computer that's unaccounted for. Um, this is one of the only ways to tell that you actually have ransomware sitting on your computer until it is triggered, unfortunately. That is why it's so dangerous. It can lock down and shut down large organizations. Um, federal governments have had issues with this in the past, in, including the United States. Uh, hospitals, power stations, you name it, it can take it down if it's deployed correctly. So ransomware is the big trigger word and threat that white hats are worried about. Oftentimes they're deployed through several other different means. Um, but if you know what you're looking for, they're usually not hard to spot as long as you know the network and know your infrastructure, which is why white hats are so important. Uh, okay, next is less dangerous, but is more common. It's called fileless malware. Fileless malware is a type of malware that attacks using things that are actually built into your computer. Typically, it'll be some type of exploit or they will a hacker will have figured out how to use something like Microsoft Word. Uh, we had a common one back two or three years ago, I think, using Excel spreadsheets um, and the macro system in Excel spreadsheets. Um, they These are very common and once again are often tied with other types of attacks that we'll talk about later. Uh, this first half of this list tends to be the actual threats. And the next type of attack, or the rest of the types of attacks we'll discuss are how they're deployed. So fileless malware is extremely dangerous because it is a blind spot for white hats. We have to constantly stay on forums, podcasts, things like that, listening for these types of fileless malware that people find. Uh, these zero-day exploits, or sometimes just misuse of good things. Um, and once we find them, we have to figure out ways to lock them down. Um, we had an issue with printers in the past. It's often very simple and innocuous things that no one thinks about that are a problem. Uh, smart fridges were a problem for a little while, too. Um, but yeah, so fireless malware, very dangerous, very common. Um, and typically, these are the types of malware that we have to deal with on a more regular basis. Okay, now the next two types. These two types of malware and hacks 
nowadays are often not even counted as hacks. They are so common and so commonly exploited by legitimate businesses that people straight up ignore them. This is a massive problem and it is something that frustrates white hat hackers to no end because people will see these and they will straight up ignore them and not tell us that these are going on. Um, so if we don't have tools in place to spot them or the user's done something to those tools to prevent them from notifying us, we then are blind to these types of attacks that are usually a prelude to deeper attacks. Uh, they also slow down computers, cause massive issues. Uh, they just mostly get in the way. And that is spyware and adware. Spyware is a type of malware that its entire job is to sit on your computer and watch you do things. Uh, you'll often see them in the background when you pull up Task Manager. Um, be careful when you end stuff. There is also a lot of Windows operating stuff in the background. But spyware is extremely dangerous for that reason. Um, it will sit in the background and just watch and log everything you do on the computer, what files you open, um, what types of things you search. And it is, oftentimes it will be something that will be selling your data. Um, we've seen these frequently attached to the free games on, that you download onto your computer, um, as well as the free websites you'll go to and you'll click accept and it automatically downloads that along with the cookies on their website. Um, this is all too common these days and is actually being used by legitimate businesses against normal citizens. Um, it's a massive problem. There are not really laws in place to prevent anyone from doing it, which is a, an even bigger problem uh, because it, it can be exploited by the common people and can be exploited by businesses with greedier malicious intent. Uh, the next is even worse, and it's adware. Adware is so common on the internet, most people just straight up ignore it. Those stupid pop-up ads that you have are often tied to spyware, so they can give you more specific pop-ups. Uh, you also see that a lot through websites tracking everything you click on, what you want, where you're located, so that they can target you with even more detailed ads to give you what they think you want. This is a massive problem because oftentimes adware is not only looking to help you shop. Oftentimes they're being exploited where Companies will actually mark up the price if you've clicked on those recently. They will also sell your data, and oftentimes they do not care who they sell that data to. So this is another one that's all too common these days, unfortunately. Um, the next type of attack in the malware category is the first one that's used to deploy the other four that we just talked about, and that's a Trojan. A Trojan is a lot what it sounds like, just like the Trojan horse in Greek mythology. It is a innocuous program that you think you're downloading or an attachment in an email or something along those lines, anything you can download that looks like it's one thing when in reality it's not. Or sometimes it will be that thing plus more. Um, and by authorizing it to download and to install, 
you're then opening yourself up to one of those other four options, um, along with worms, root kits, anything like that. So it is extremely dangerous. You have to be extremely careful with these. Um, this is why a lot of times anyone in cybersecurity or just IT in general will tell you to not click on the link and do not download the attachment unless you A, know it's coming, B, know who it's from, and C, you were told that attachment was coming. <clears throat> if you do follow those instructions, you will be safe 95% of the time. Now, we are already 15 minutes in and we're only a quarter of the way down this list. So we're going to pick up the pace a little bit. The next are worms. Worms have been around and are actually one of the first forms of cyber attacks. They are still common. They are evolving. Worms are a piece of code that is put in place and then it replicates and replicates and replicates. It moves across systems to deploy any of those other types of malware we just talked about. Um, they can be as simple as a keystroke logger or it can be as complicated as ransomware that is propagating across your system before it deploys so that once it deploys, it'll take an entire company down. Okay, next are rootkits. Rootkits are very simple programs that exploit the base programming and operating systems of a computer to hold them hostage or to make changes or to alter data. Um, they aren't as common as they used to be. Uh, they were very popular for a very long time, but recently ransomware, fireless malware, adware, and spyware have kind of replaced them. Uh, they're pretty old school and companies like Microsoft and Apple do a pretty good job doing security updates to prevent people from rootkitting too much. Uh, that being said, it still happens quite frequently. Next is mobile malware. This has become a massive problem lately where people think that their phones are protected, specifically the one that has a fruit on the back. That is not the case. You need an antivirus on your phone just as much as you need an antivirus on your computer. I have this conversation at least once a week with someone who brought, downloaded a free app on their phone from some obscure company they've never heard of, but the game looked kind of fun, but the game never worked, and it downloaded malware onto their phone, which then deployed the second they got to work and connected to the Wi-Fi. Luckily, if I'm involved, my company has tools to prevent that from deploying over the rest of the network, and it'll catch it the second it touches the network. But that is not always the case, especially in a home network. So you have to be extremely careful what you're downloading. Unfortunately, Google and Apple can't prevent these types of things from being attached to games, things like that. Uh, they just don't, there's so many games coming up that they just don't have the time to review all of the code. So unfortunately, hundreds of these slip through a day. Um, they do actively remove them as they find them, but that still means they are more up being uploaded than are being taken down every day. Okay, the next few are pretty simple um, to explain and to understand, but they are still very common. Uh, the next one is exploits. Exploits are a hole in a specific program. Um, this is often what pen testers and quality assurance for 
programs deal with and try and deal with before the software is released, but sometimes these slip through. They're often referred to as zero days, these exploits. Um, and Black Hats will use these for malicious purposes, whether that be to gain data, sell data, take things hostage, anything that they intend to do with that system can be exploited through these zero days. Next is Scareware. Scareware is the non-dangerous version of the first four. You will often see this where they will change your background to a blue screen and hide your search bar. Uh, these are often deployed very quickly and are very crude in nature. Uh, sometimes it can be as simple as a pop-up message saying your computer's been compromised. Um, do not ever click on anything you see like that. Contact someone who knows what they're doing. We can get it fixed. Scareware is not actually your computer being held hostage. And usually within about 10 seconds, we can tell the difference. So if you are ever hit with anything like this, please reach out to someone who knows enough about computers to get you out of that situation. Sometimes it's as simple as rebooting your computer. Sometimes it's it requires a much deeper clean, but it is fixable. Uh, so that is the big thing I, I will suggest. If you experience any of these, please contact someone who knows how to help you out. Um, there are several different uh, groups and tools to help you out, especially if you were an independent contractor, you were from home, things like that. So, excuse me. So with that, uh, let's move on to the last three. The last three have been around for a very long time and are pretty common, unfortunately. Uh, keystroke loggers. Keystroke loggers have been around since before computers were a thing. Keystroke loggers actually were invented with typewriters. Uh, it basically, is a, the time of typewriters was a strip reel that was attached to a writer that would log every single punch you made on your paper so that as you were typing, that reel would record a copy of what you typed. Uh, this has become even more common in the digital world where it tracks everything you type so that it can try and steal your data or catch passwords or anything along those lines. Uh, they are extremely common and they're often deployed alongside other types of malware, spyware, and anything like that. Um, the next is what's called a botnet. A botnet is an interesting one. A lot of times when a botnet attacks someone, it is not actually attacking the person, it is attempting to basically take their computer as a slave or part of their computer as a slave. When a botnet attacks, it then turns your computer into what's called a bot, um, where you then your computer is then used as a whole for something else. Uh, this has been extremely common when it came to Bitcoin's high period a few years, eh, about a year and a half ago, two years ago, where yeah, companies would experience a lot of botnet attacks on their servers and their servers would actually be converted to crypto mining for someone else. Um, and that's just an example of what a botnet attack is. The next is mal-spam. Mal-spam is a list of just bloatware on your computer that spams you with ads and things like that 
and fills up your computer until your computer can't function anymore. Um, and then the company will, or not the company, the attacker will then hold the computer hostage as one that's been around for a very long time and has mostly been replaced by ransomware because mal, mal spam can be easily spotted. Um, if a computer starts to spike in storage or memory or CPU usage, that'll set off a red flag very quickly and it's very easy to prevent um, and reverse if you catch it before the computer goes down. Okay, so those are the types of malware um, that are extremely common that we see. Um, and if you're running a hacker, they would use one of those types of malware somewhere in their attack. Um, the next is another one that you'll probably hear quite a bit. Um, it's a DOS attack or a DDoS attack. DOS stands for denial of service. This is where a company will target a website or a streaming service or whatever, and they will send so many requests through for information, whether that be just hundreds of thousands of people, fake people signing in, or anything simple as re requesting the same file over and over and over again from a free share site. Um, basically, it just spams a server to the point where it can't handle the load. Um, and people can't actually get the information they need. Uh, this is extremely common, uh, especially with government websites, um, large companies as well. And oftentimes, it's very hard to track where these attacks are coming from. Because these attacks will use botnets. So, there's a lot that can be done with these attacks. They are very simple. And they are often just a single button push to actually send them out because it's already built into a toolbox. Um, okay, next is the most common form of hack in existence, and that is phishing. There are five variations of phishing um, that are used, and all five of them can be very dangerous. The first type is just generic phishing, or sometimes it's referred to as net phishing, where a very basic uh, email will be sent out, often pretending to be Netflix, and thousands or hundreds of thousands of people will get the, right, I say Netflix, but that's an example. Uh, Netflix has been the most common recently, which is why it's on my mind. But uh, we've seen it recently with Disney+, Plus. we've seen it with Audible, we've seen it with Amazon. Um, somebody will pretend to be those people and will send out a large email. That email will have a link or a file you have to download. And when you do that, you have then accepted in either the ransomware, spyware, adware, excuse me, or anything along those lines. Um, the next, um, usually these attacks aren't high quality, so it has a very low success rate. But if the hacker does it on a high enough quantity rate, the return still yields, which is why we see these coming out of a lot of third world countries that have massive server farms um, and will pay a lot of people to just basically click send over and over and over again um, on massive emails coming from generic emails or spoofed emails to impersonate these groups 
or organizations. Okay, the next is spear phishing. Spear phishing employs some type of social engineering to target a specific person. These are usually very intricate. And uh, this is an attack where someone will do their research on a person to know exactly what types of things they're more likely to click on. Um, and by doing that, <clears throat> it gives them a far better chance of getting in. A lot of times these will also be much higher quality attacks um, where the email will look very legitimate. And this can be extremely, extremely dangerous. Uh, the next is called whaling. It's pretty similar to, to spear phishing, although it won't be a specific person. It'll be a specific group. For example, uh, one of the most common ones is the C-level people or the board of a company, um, as well as accounts payable. It's this a lot. Um, oftentimes, whaling is a spoofed invoice to try and encourage someone to pay large amounts of money, thinking that it is going to one of their vendors. Um, this is a very big problem in an organization and is often what white hat hackers are looking for in an organization while they're doing their job. Okay, um, the next is what's called SMishing. I did not make up that name. I think it is dumb but I don't know what else to name it. This is basically just phishing through text messages. Um, often it'll be impersonating someone. Uh, one of the ones we've seen recently is impersonating a CEO of an organization or a senior member of the board. They will then ask someone to go get gift cards for a company party and then send them the numbers so they can verify them. Um, this has been extremely common. Um, companies have been very good recently about catching it but still a very common problem. The next one, and the final one, I should say, of the phishing group is, in my opinion, the most dangerous because it exploits far more than just someone's ability to spot weird things in an email or a text message, and that is vishing with a V. Vishing is voice phishing. This is over the phone. Um, it is often one of the most vicious and heavily exploited types of phishing. This involves a lot of social engineering to try and get access to information or accounts. Um, oftentimes, this one of the most common types of phishing that I've seen um, can be it's often a woman with the sounds of a crying baby in the background who tries her best to sound as frazzled and tired as possible to get access to an account for someone they're claiming is their husband or their late husband or their parent who had just passed away um, basically is exploiting on people's weaknesses in different ways. Um, a few years ago, it was pretty common to do the free giveaway type, type of phishing uh, that did not work very well because telling people that they got things for free is something that most people do not trust. Um, so this that quickly faded, but um, these type of vishing attacks are very, very common and have been around for a very long time. And oftentimes it is very hard to tell if it's real or if it's not. 
even having personally listened to several recordings of these fishing attacks, I'm not sure I could recognize all of them. Although, um, I have gotten to the point where I can spot most of them nowadays, and I have become famous for screwing with people when this happens. Um, so, yeah, it's not a good thing. Do not recommend doing it unless you have a lot of skills and background in this, um, and you can actually be safe while doing it. Okay. So next is one I've already referred to. It's called spoofing. This is where an organization or the attacker will impersonate someone else or something else or a, a company. Um, this can be done dozens of different ways. It can be done um, on a network by pretending to be a different device. It can be done by tweaking a domain so that you're sending an email from at netflix.com, but there's two eyes instead of one in Netflix. Um, or, excuse me. <clears throat> Sorry. We've got cold weather here and my throat is very dry. Um, so, spoofing is super common. I'm not going to go into a lot of detail on this because I shouldn't. Um, if I go into too much detail on spoofing, it will be, it'll turn into a how you spoof, and I don't want to do that. Um, it is very common and is often paired with a lot of different types of phishing or malware deployments um, to increase success. Okay, the next is identity-based attacks. Identity-based attacks are very similar to phishing. Somewhat. Um, Identity-based attacks are attacks where one thing will pretend to be something else. Um, similar to spoofing, but not exactly the same. Um, often they will... There will be different types of attacks, like a man in the, excuse me, a man in the middle attack, where something will impersonate a router or a switch or some type of network hardware. So that information gets routed through that data collection device. Um, but there are far other, or there are several different types of identity-based attacks. And due to time, I will not dive into those because that's not as needed. Um, once again, I will have a link in the description, probably from CrowdStrike or maybe Sophos, depending on if I can find that information publicly available through them. Um, I'd prefer Sophos. They're my preferred partner. Uh, when it comes to this, I do love CrowdStrike as well. Uh, they provide a lot of varied information for people. So if you need information, CrowdStrike has a lot of publicly available information that's super helpful. Um, and I do recommend them as a tool if you're writing a hacker. Uh, the next is what's called code injection. Code injection is something that sometimes they try and attempt in TV shows and books. Um, they do it entirely wrong. Um, although I have seen this last season of Magnum PI, they did play code injection well several times. Uh, code injection is often some type of thumb drive or is paired with one of the other types of malware to insert code into something that changes what it does. Um, either it changes what it does or it copies it or um, a, a common type of code injection that uh, is pretty well known is one that inserts itself 
and then it sends a copy of all of the data that is written to an alternate location. And then that alternate location then feeds it to the hacker. Um, these are often very simply deployed, like I said, with a thumb drive or can be deployed through phishing or um, any type of Trojans or ransomware. Um, it's simply a line of code that gets added to a program. And those are extremely hard to find once they're there, um, which is why the white hat community will try everything they can to make sure that code never gets inserted. Uh, we also watch programs heavily to see if they do anything weird. If they do anything outside of the norm, that is a massive red flag for us uh, because of identity-based attacks. Um, the next one, or sorry, not identity-based code injection attacks. The next is what's called supply chain. Um, the easiest way to explain, uh, explain supply chain, um, and we've all seen those old spy movies, how someone infiltrates an organization by first infiltrating the person who delivers their milk. This is a supply chain where if I want to exploit company C, I'm actually going to attack company A first. So the company A will then allow me a way into company B and company B will allow me a way into company C. Um, it's becoming very, very common um, and became very common throughout the pandemic. Um, and then the last one is IoT-based attacks, which is the information of things. The information of things is a very cool concept, but it has become extremely dangerous. Uh, the information of things refers to smart products that weren't originally smart. So things like fridges, microwaves, um, ovens, cars, anything that once was not a smart thing that is now a smart thing, can be exploited to deploy attacks. Uh, smartwatches were super common about five years ago for this. Uh, like I said, we've seen it with fridges, we've seen it with microwaves, uh, we have seen it with cars as well, where someone will target an exploit on a car, and then as soon as your car gets home, plugs into your network, and then it pulls from there. Um, and can move to a laptop or anything along those lines. These are extremely common, extremely dangerous, and are a really good plot line for a story. Because no one expects the hacker to hack the microwave while somebody's buying it at a grocery store. Or to exploit someone's car, not to kill them when, while they're in the car, but to steal something when they're home and they're working from their home office on their home Wi-Fi. So that is a lot of information about a lot of different types of attacks that you'll see from Black Hat hackers. Now... How can we write a black hat hacker well? Yes, you can make them a villain. Um, that's absolutely fine, and they absolutely should be. But black hat hackers are often doing it for a reason. They can be thrill seekers. We see those a lot. Often those are teenagers, or they started as teenagers, doing it because it was not the right thing to do. But they wanted to do it for a reason. Um, the next type we see are often referred to as hacktivists or red hats. I will dive further into those next week uh, because there's a lot more to talk about with them. They are doing it for a cause. Um, others, other types of malicious actors you'll see will be working for someone. 
These are extremely common and they are the most dangerous black hats in existence because they have partial legality. These types of black hats will sometimes be hired by companies to attack one of their competitors, one nation to attack another nation. Um, they are extremely dangerous and are extremely skilled. On top of that, they have access to tools and toys that most white hats can only dream of. They are the ones that everyone that keeps everyone up at night. Um, and sometimes, sometimes these types of black hats come from the original background of either being extremely poor and not having, or not able to think of another way to do things. Um, often coming from a young age um, or they're being exploited by their government and are forced into this type of training because they're skilled with computer. They can be exploited by their company. They can be a broken, what we call a broken white hat, a white hat who goes to work for the wrong people and eventually slowly gets forced into becoming a black hat for that company. Um, there are hundreds of different reasons why these black hats on contract exist. Um, other types of black hats that we see and are far more common work out of server farms. Uh, these are often in third world countries or second world countries more recently um, where they don't have good laws against cybercrime. Um, I don't know if I actually want to call anyone out on here, but there are several countries in Africa and Asia and Central Europe where we see this very commonly, where they're almost like telemarketers and they have a cubicle, they go in, they work every day, but they're instead of doing that, they're running phishing attacks um, or vishing or smishing attacks so that they can collect data to sell to not so good companies. Yeah, sorry. I have to walk a very fine line here uh, because if I name drop any companies or organizations, it could be very bad for me, um, whether that be through legal recourse or other reasons. Um, but this is very common. Let's do an example. Um, a good example of this is Lex Luthor from Superman. Um, he is a sleazy corporate billionaire who in the comics actually uses black hats fairly well on occasion. Um, and is also the type of person who would buy customer data and stolen data from other types of organizations that come from much poorer regions and can be farmed that way. Um, now, with all that being said, you can write any type of black hat you want. Um, there have been some pretty good black hats recently. Um, I haven't actually finished um, all of the series, and I just blanked on his name. Um, the new Apple TV show um, with about the organization that hunts kaiju. Um, I apologize. I just blanked on the show as I was talking. Um, 
there is a technical black hat, although she leans more gray hat, in my opinion, um, who helps them break into some data that is heavily encrypted. Um, that is another good example of a black hat, someone who's living off the grid, away from the world as much as possible, um, doing black hat things, um, often either for survival reasons or sometimes it can be a situation where there is no other option um, for them, or at least they think that. Um, one of the most common types of black hats we see in the United States are people with ties to criminal organizations. They grew up in the wrong neighborhood and got recruited into a gang or a cartel um, and are now forced to do black hat hacking um, in order to either maintain their status in that gang or in order to not be killed. Um, this is, uh, I shouldn't say fairly common. It's actually drastically decreased in commonality here in the United States, but it still exists. Um, so take what you will from all of this. I know this has been a long episode, but I hope this helped. Um, if you have any other questions, please feel free to stick them in the comments. Don't forget to like and subscribe and join us next week where we're going to be talking about the other variants in the hacker world, um, specifically gray hats, red hats, blue hats, and green hats. Um, there are more, and depending on time, I may pull those up as well. But those are the four I definitely want to cover next week. So thank you for joining, and we'll see you then.